This podcast is brought to you by Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind, radio-quality songs. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within a week, their community of professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift you can give. And that's a community of 350-plus professional musicians and growing. We are happy to tell you guys about Songfinch. Not only is it the perfect time... Christmas is right around the corner. If you're looking for a unique gift to get somebody you love instead of just a sweater or something boring, Songfinch is the way to go. You can use it for all different occasions, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, or just to tell someone you love them. Songfinch has been with us for a long time now because they love us and our Clatchers love them. Songfinch made us a song about the podcast. It was awesome. We went on the website, which is really easy to use. We gave them information about the podcast, how long we've been together. We talked to them about Achilles, our bird. He's even in the song. We told them what kind of style we wanted for the song. And they came back with this amazing professional quality song. And I felt important. I felt like, oh man, we made it. We got a song about us. Yes, let me tell you about the process. There are two easy ways to create your own personalized song. You can either build from an existing foundation where you browse and select a pre-made foundation that fits your style and occasion and then share your stories and memories with them to help shape the lyrics. And your songwriter will add verses to make it yours. Or you can start from scratch. Select your mood, genre, vocalist, and Songfinch handpicks the perfect songwriter to record your story. Either way, once that's done, you receive the original song. It has a homepage on the website where you can listen, read the lyrics, and learn more about the songwriter who created it. It's also an easy way to share with your family and friends. And you are granted a personal license for use on that in perpetuity. This means you can share your song. And if it isn't what you expected, you can feel free to reach out to them and Songfinch will make it right. So imagine you have a friend or a loved one who has everything and you don't know what to get them. Well, guaranteed, they don't have a song about them, <laughs> about their friendship or about something that's really important to them. Songfinch can do it for you. Your imagination is the only limit. And best of all, they have a special offer for our Clatchers. For $20 off your personalized song from scratch, just go to songfinch.com and use the promo code Clatchers. That's songfinch.com, promo code Clatchers. K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S. You can support us by supporting them. Blink and you're dead. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. People assume that time is a strict regression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball. Tiny, whiny stuff. I don't want to go. It can't be fast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode seven, Kerblam! That is correct. The right intonation on that. Directed by Jennifer Parrott and written by Pete McTie. Isn't it Perot? I don't think so. There's two T's at the end. This episode is about a mysterious message that arrives in a package addressed to the doctor leading her and her TARDIS team to investigate the warehouse moon orbiting Kandoka and the home of the galaxy's largest retailer, Kerblam. IMDb is giving this a 7.2 and Rotten Tomatoes a 94%. The critics say it felt like an old-fashioned Who romp with a futuristic setting and humanoid robots, but also packed enough narrative twists right up until the end. I have to agree that this felt like a more traditional Doctor Who storyline for me. The futuristic setting, our group was active in the fight to uncover the truth and stop the bad guy. Evil robots, the Fez hat, A Matt race Smith. against time, clever plans. And what I enjoyed most was the companions all had something to do. I feel like I'm reiterating that point throughout the season, but I do see it as a stumbling block having three companions that we have to focus on. It's difficult. Whenever you have a big cast... That's one of the most difficult things to do. Make them all feel important. The Magicians does it brilliantly. There's so many main characters there. And that's one of the things we always harp on with Magicians. Every piece always seems to be just as important. They keep them all relevant. And I think Doctor Who has discovered that same magic. They figured out the equation. And it's to pair them up. Because we also have to introduce secondary characters that we care enough about 
over the span of one episode. For instance, here you have Yaz and Dan together, Graham and Charlie, Ryan and Kira. Not only does that spread out the time evenly, but it gives us some more of their background as our companions are getting to know these secondary characters telling them their history. We get to learn things for the first time. So that's good show, don't tell. There was a couple of stumbles on that that we'll talk about later. Overall, though, I thought it was great world building. We got a good description of Kerblam and how it operates right off the bat. The assignment of our characters to different areas gave us an inside look at the separate locations. And great visuals from the opening shot of the warehouse to the conveyor belt scene. And I know criticized for its CGI, but I enjoyed it. Oh, I love that scene. Very reminiscent of Monsters, Inc. with the doors. Mm-hmm. Criticized for the CGI. Yeah, it was a little corny, but Doctor Who has corn to it. You gotta love the corn. I mean, the Kablam Man is straight cheese, right? But it works. It's a throwback Doctor villain. Well, this is a tip of the hat to Pete McTie because he was able to bring in Chibnall's new era of Doctor Who, but also tie in the old Doctor Who together. Not just with the Fez hat. If you remember, the Doctor ordered a Fez. Matt Smith. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Don't worry. (laughs) All the way to killer robots. And like you said, the way it unfolded, many parts felt like the old doctor, especially the way with how the doctor was speaking. Very reminiscent. But he also brought in Chibnall's thing this year, which he seems to be loving, where everything has to have a meaning, kind of like a social meaning. And this is about technology. So he was able to unfold both of those together. Political, societal messages, and also the people are the bad guys, not the robots or the aliens. We'll get to that in a second. I am remiss to start jumping on this train after only two episodes, but six and seven, which we enjoyed very much as opposed to the rest of this season, not that we didn't enjoy it, but the level was a lot higher. Yeah are the first two episodes that weren't written solely by Chibnall. I've always said this in the past. My main issue with Mr. Robot, I understand these people have a vision and they want to be involved in every aspect of the creative process, but sometimes when you're not bringing in enough other ideas, points of view, ways of going at things, you lose out. That's part of the magic. That's what we've always loved about Game of Thrones. Yes, the double Ds are crucial, but every episode... There's a different writer. There's a different director. It lets you tell that story from the angle you need to instead of being ultra-focused on your one point that you have to make for the whole season. I'm wondering if they shouldn't have done this sooner. But yeah, you mentioned there are some of those same themes there. The bad guy is yet again a person. I liked the way they subverted this a little, though. It didn't wind up being Judy or Jarva, the management people that perhaps we suspected for a little while. Having them switch gears to make it Charlie was a twist I didn't see coming. And of course, the overall message this time, there are clear parallels to companies like Amazon and the overtaking of online retail, the problems with middle-class workers and rising unemployment rates, the dangers of technology and automation, and these vague hints of something that's happening throughout the universe, not just in Earth, in the future. We get another one here. Half the galaxy isn't working. Technology has taken so many jobs. And during the episode, they say, well, at least this gives us a purpose, as though they really don't have one outside of that. It looks like the future is bleak. Yeah. And these are all the worries we've talked about. Actually, in our Patreon bonus this month, we discussed Sears closing. And how Amazon is pretty much getting rid of even the big dogs now. And Macy's is in trouble. Now we know that Amazon is working on a way to have drones deliver your packages. So we don't even need humans there. (laughs) With our phones controlling us, I have an Apple Watch. It tells me, hey, you've been sitting too long. Stand up. And I do. And I walk around. It winds up running your life. And my my coworkers are like, what are you doing? And I say, oh, my watch told me to take a walk. (laughs) So it's... (laughs) It's not unfathomable. I love you, but I have to tell you, you would be one of these people. Mm -hmm. It's true. I have to do it. My AI told me so. (laughs) Unfortunately, maybe that makes me more like Charlie. I want to get into this later. I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a very serious issue, domestic terrorism, that they were bringing up with the character of Charlie. And yet, while we absolutely can't be okay with the extremist methods he's gone to, it makes him a bad person. The original point he's starting off with is still a valid one. His concerns are still valid. It makes him a complex villain. For sure. And that's something we've been missing with our villains. And another thing that we've been missing, and we say there's just something missing, something missing at the end of every episode, every episode is the 
Doctor Who twists at the end. They used to always get us with those. When we got this twist, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that feeling. I forgot about Mm -hmm. that feeling. And yet it puts the doctor in a position that's super unclear. And that was a through line through all the other doctors. And I loved that. Yeah. I actually liked that there was a lot of gray area and the doctor had to struggle with these moral decisions It's the age-old questions, do the ends justify the mean? Is sacrificing somebody worth saving the rest of all these somebodies? They blew by it perhaps too quickly at the end here. And with this Chibnall-era doctor, we've been seeing a completely different approach. The humanity and mercy in her, the very strong standpoint that she is nonviolent, she doesn't want to kill anybody, there are no situations that make that okay. And yet it's very clear that she sacrifices Charlie at the end of this episode. It's in line with the rest of our doctors, but a little contradictory to what we've been getting out of Jodie Whittaker. Yes, but it's not like she could have waited for him to leave, for her to reroute the routes, (laughs) for lack of a better word. She had to do it before they launched, and he's the one that ran down there. Yeah, we'll talk about maybe... Were there ways this could have been avoided? I think so, if she had wanted to. And a lot of other podcasts are discussing the same issues. For me, it's not the fact that she did it. Because, like I say, that's an age-old problem with Doctor Who. It's the fact that they haven't been pushing that angle, and then they real quickly made a turnabout here that's leaving me a little bit confused as to his vision for the direction of the Doctor. But we'll talk about that more when we get there. First, let's go over some fun facts. Starting out with, I love when the doctor just makes things up or she knows more than us. Uh, Who knows? She describes prejudice against robots as robophobia. I like that. That's (laughs) robophobic. We get a little more information on Ryan's backstory. We've been asking for some more about Ryan and Yaz. He used to work at the Sports Stack Warehouse and he talks about how this just feels like a job coming to a place like this. And taking something innocuous and making it deadly has been a calling card of Doctor Who for a long time. In fact, the classic series was famous for its low budget, so the production team had to use everyday objects to create terror. For instance, in The Green Death, the giant maggots were made out of inflated condoms. (laughs) In Planet of the Daleks, the Dalek army was actually wind-up toys with mirrors placed around them to make it look like more of them. They do look like wound-up toys. The best one, the Ark in Space, Painted bubble wrap was used to simulate an alien infection. That could work. They had to figure out how to get creative. And thanks to ScreenRant.com for citing those instances, I was trying to think of them in my head. There have been so So many. many. (laughs) Or even just when things that perhaps wouldn't be scary become scary, like the Weeping Angels. Oh, love that. The episode in the library with the shadows. Things that should be harmless becoming terrifying. And what's more innocuous than bubble wrap? It's also inventive because they could have just said, oh, he was putting bombs in there. This was a creative twist that I actually really enjoyed. And every time, and Christmas is coming, so there's going to be bubble wrap. Every time I see bubble wrap now, I'm going to think a little differently and and have a smile on my face. Who doesn't pop it? It's almost guaranteed, whether on purpose or on accident. Well, for our next segment, New Faces and Places, let's briefly discuss our new secondary characters. We had Judy Maddox, played by Julie Hesmondhall. Had you figured it out by the end of the episode who she was? I kept saying, she looks so familiar, she looks so familiar. I actually didn't figure it out until I started doing research after. Totally different character, but she played Trish in Broadchurch. She was one of the lead roles alongside Jodie Whittaker. So many Broadchurch people coming to Doctor Who and was from Doctor Who originally. I love it. Especially in this episode. Well, here... She is head of people at Kerblam, which is funny. It's like the new HR. Then we had Jarvis Slade, played by Callum Dixon, a warehouse executive. Those are the two individuals we get to see that are in management. Yeah, and the two people that I actually thought might be the bad guys. And then as soon as Judy started explaining it, I was like, okay, it's definitely Jarva. A good red herring. And then a nice twist. Next, we had Dan Cooper, played by Lee Mack. He's an employee in inventory. Kira Arlo, played by Claudia Jesse, an employee in packing. And Charlie Duffy, played by Leo Flanagan, an employee in maintenance. Obviously, for location, we have Kerblam, 
the largest retailer and biggest workforce in the galaxy. Fun fact, the voice of Kerblam was played by Matthew Gravel, a.k.a. Joe, from Broadchurch. Broadchurch, yep. Isn't that crazy? It's a family reunion for them. Too bad we couldn't have brought David Tennant in for a guest appearance. We would have really had the whole crew. Well, let's jump into our plot. The episode opens with the Doctor struggling to fly the TARDIS through turbulence and avoid a teleport pulse. When all of a sudden, a robot soldier appears inside with them, a Kerblam man. And the Doctor explains, Kerblam is the biggest retailer. Well, the Doctor was extremely ecstatic. She loves the Kerblam man. She opens her box, gets even more excited when she finds a Fez cap inside. We will come back to that in spoiler section, Jason. I know you're really excited to talk about the Fez. On the back of the packing slip, a note says, help me, and they go to investigate. One sidebar question, is the system already reading the doctor and trying to endear itself to her by sending this as a gift? You know, I was thinking that, but I believe Matt Smith ordered a Fez cap. It just took many, many years to come. I looked back in that, and I think there were more instances, though, after that happened with Matt. So I don't think we were still waiting on the order. Okay. We'll talk about that later on. But But then, yeah, it was endearing to her. We're going to find out later, not only is the system not bad, but they've been trying to alert people and get help. For sure. And their biggest hope was to turn to the doctor. So there's going to be a lot of indications that they were trying to shift the pieces to get her in on this. You keep saying there. Is that because it's not a him or a her? Yeah. Okay. It's an AI system, right? Well, the group arrives on the moon of planet Kandoka, a human colony, which has been turned into a massive warehouse. This is where we get that really nice establishing shot on the outside. Yeah. And in the promo last week for this, I right away got a feeling of Amazon. But the logo itself and the colors reminded me of Domino's Pizza. So I kept getting a Domino's feel when we walked in. It's like even the robot itself, a little more fun and childish to a certain extent. But that's what you would want. Yeah. Although somebody somebody mentioned setting up this operation on the moon can't help for delivery costs. It's kind of funny, but I think once you have teleportation, doesn't matter. that shit doesn't matter. Yeah. Inside, the doctor tells Judy Maddox they're expected as relatives and guests of the first lady. They go through full body scanners, and Judy tells them the system allocates work details based on fitness, dexterity, and mental assessments. The teammates, or Kerblam men, are there to assist and supervise the organic workers. After all, Kerblam is 90% automated. As per Kandokan guidelines, they are certified 10% people-powered to meet their quota. And we don't know more background on that yet, but we will hear about it later. While talking, the power temporarily shuts down, and Judy says it's common for them to get the occasional drain. In response to the doctor's questions, Judy insists morale amongst workers is good. Jobs are so hard to come by that people are just happy to be working. There's mention number one. Sounds miserable. Mm-hmm. But Judy seems like a cool chick. That's when we see Dan in the beginning right away, and we see his demeanor. He's very fun. Um, the robot didn't play back with him. <laughs> But uh, right away, we like him. What is he calling him later? Basil? Yeah. One of the robots. And throughout the tour, we get to learn more about the company. Kerblam has 600 million products, 10,000 employees. The system instantly relays customer orders in fulfillment, scans the products, and sends them to packing stations. Then it goes on a conveyor through final checks where it is inspected, sealed, and sent down the hatch to dispatch a fully automated lower level where postmen retrieve the package and teleport it directly to customers. So 10,000 employees, that's 10,000 people, which is only 10% of the workforce there, which would make sense because Amazon is opening one of two headquarters, one here in New York. In Queens. Which is going to be 25,000 people. I think it's already there. No. Not opened, but set up the one in Queens because I've heard it's not being received so positively? No, it was just cleared by the Maybe governor. Maybe the news of it? The news of it. People are reacting yes. to? Okay. And one's going to be opening in Virginia. And of course, Kandoka is b- even bigger. So that would make sense. It's a whole moon. It's 100,000, yeah. That they're operating on. That's crazy talk. Well, not only that, this intensely structured system that they have in place, there are also group loops 
that monitor productivity of the human workers in all areas and report it back to the system, they essentially check up on them after everything they do. So they're really just there to meet this quota. Well, as soon as Judy said that they were the supervisors, I was like, oh, right away I knew, okay, the machines are the bad guys. Or right away I thought Mm -hmm. the machines are the bad guys. Yep. They're the ones that are telling you what to do. Oh, not cool. Humans are humans. Fallible. (laughs) Yeah. There's days where you'll work really well. There's days where you won't because of things going on in life. If your boss is another human, they'd be more apt to have some empathy for you. A robot's going to be like, well, that's against protocol. You know, that just sounds miserable to me. Unless you're Jarvis Slade, and that kind of sent mixed messages because we find out later, oh, he's not such a bad guy. He was actually trying to look out for people, yet he was rude as hell to Kira. Well, they had to make him look like a bad guy. There's no excuse for that. Well, also, he probably is an asshole. Maybe. But not a bad guy. (laughs) Well, now Judy leaves them to their teammates, and they're split up and assigned jobs. As only Purple can work in packing, the doctor switches with Graham so she can search the area where the message was sent from. And Graham is sent to maintenance. So right away, I was like, wow. So during the scan, the machines devise that the doctor is only fit to do maintenance? Yeah, it's not until later we find out it's a part of the system's master plan. We have to infer, but once we figure out what it's been doing, it absolutely had a plan in mind in assigning tasks. If the doctor had taken the job initially given to her in maintenance, she would have had unrestricted access even to the lower levels where dispatch is. And she would have come into contact with Charlie a lot sooner. She disrupted the plan. That's right. By saying, no, no, I got to be in this other area. I know it's happening in packing. Yeah. Th- again, first time in a long time with Doctor Who where we can go through an episode and discuss these things that you didn't see at first. Mm-hmm. So she sent there in packing. Kira helps train Ryan and the doctor. Ryan talks about how it takes him longer to figure out physical tasks. Okay. Here's where my issue came in again Mm. with Ryan's dyspraxia. Why are they still telling and not showing? They skip over the issue almost all season long so far. And when they come back to it, it's like, well, people notice we haven't really put that in there. So we need a line or two. But then again, they don't show it. Why don't they just show him struggling to pack the box? Why does he need to say, I have trouble with coordination? Well, he was good at that point. He's good at packing. That was the whole thing. Now he is. Right. Because he's been shown how to do it a couple of times. Well, many times. But there could be any number of new things he has to learn in this Kablam packing center where he can demonstrate that. Well, that doesn't bother me, that scene in particular, because I can acquiesce to the fact that he's been working and doing something like this. But when he has to go down... The shoot? The shoot later. It happens again. And when they're dodging lasers... He's he's fine? fine. That's my problem. (laughs) So... You know, twice throughout the episode, we're telling, not only we're not showing, we're contradicting ourselves. So I either just drop it all together or find a way to do it better. Anyhow, the doctor wonders why Kerblam needs people as a workforce at all, but Kira explains it's due to Kandokan labor laws. After the people power protest movement, companies are now required to have 10% people on all levels. Plus, as we said, work gives them purpose. She also tells more of her personal story of the one present she ever received in her life from her boss, Judy, on her last birthday. I'm not sure why Kira is so different than the rest of the people that work there, if this is just a personal thing, despite all adversity, that she's been able to maintain a positive approach on life, but the doctor really admires it. She also asks if she's met anyone who needs help. But then, as we said, Jarvis Slade comes in and speaks rudely to Kira... The doctor chastises him, but after he leaves, Kira says she should be careful. People have been fired recently for minor infractions, and one of them mysteriously disappeared. Things are slowly unfolding. I love the way Ryan stuck up for her, and then I love the way the doctor, who as soon as she started speaking, I was like, here it comes, Mm -hmm. puts him in his place. You don't talk to her like that. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, and we're clearly being led along this trail. We don't know it at the time, but at this point, I thought the people that were disappearing were being turned into robots, a la the Cybermen. Oh, I never thought that. You didn't think that? No. Oh, I thought for sure they're eliminating. The robots have gotten smart enough that they realize not only are these humans useless, they have to keep checking up on them after (laughs) every job they do. So they're luring them down into dispatch where they turn them into better, more efficient functioning employees. Robots. I think it never came into my head because uh, 
I mean, that's an old famous monster, quote unquote, for Doctor Who. And I don't think they'd be that reckless when well, it comes to... Well, I'm not saying they would be Cybermen. We've done things like this in a lot of different ways. Without ruining anything too much, people have been turned into other robotic types of things over the years in Doctor Who. There's a way you can do it and make it a little different because this episode was calling back so hard to old uh, school Doctor true. Who. Well, I, I, it did come to mind that maybe they were becoming, like in the Matrix, batteries, power. Mm. And that's why the power kept coming out, going out. That would be interesting, too. Yeah, I mean, definitely we're going along those lines at this point, right, though? The robots are bad. So that was really effective storytelling. I think that's where we were supposed to go. Meanwhile, Yaz is being trained by Dan Cooper in inventory. When she starts to ask if there's anyone in trouble, Dan warns her to be careful because the teammates can hear everything and are constantly monitoring. The key to this job is to get along and do as you're told. He also tells her how his model employee status led to his image on the poster and extra credits. He sent one to his daughter, who's back home, and he can only see her twice a year due to the price of economy shuttles. He reiterates half the galaxy isn't working because technology took so many jobs. And all the while, the teammate keeps breaking in to tell them not to socialize and keep working. These are clear allusions to supposedly what it's like to work at Amazon. Yes, more story unfolding. But more importantly, we get a good Yaz storyline with Dan. We know that Yaz is all about family, and this would touch her heartstrings very well. But also Dan's story was interesting, endearing, and fun to watch. Emotionally resonant in a short space of time. Exactly. As opposed to Kira, Mm. who I felt like she was droning on a little too much. And she was clearly a stereotype of a character, as much as we like her positive approach to life. It was like somebody really scripted that out, not that she was a fully fleshed human being. We know that... Supposedly, Charlie has a crush on her, but that's really not explored aside from two seconds when they're outside on that break. And this is another show don't tell. We get to learn more about who Yaz is as a person through her interactions with Dan. Not because they have to tell us she's a junior cop and this is what she likes to do, yada, yada. We just see it, how she interacts with people. And even though Dan had to give us some exposition, it didn't feel like it. Not at all. He also quickly shows what kind of person he is, a really good man. When an order comes in to put away an antique lamp, he insists on taking it instead of Yaz. He says she could get lost in the triple nines. The last person to search for an order down there got fired. Or went missing or something. He says got fired, fired, but he says it with an air of he thinks something else happened to them. So he goes down himself and runs into a robot who should be in dispatch. He wonders what he's doing down there. Yaz comes down after him to look for Dan and hears a scream, but she only finds the necklace from his daughter. Well, right away, we can see how a robot that actually looks pretty cool and fun, real quick, just by the way it's standing, (laughs) still has the same smile, but now it looks scary and maniacal. They gave us a couple moments where it started to get creepy, like when she was looking through the stacks and one's just standing there staring and you're like... Okay, I don't like the Kerblam man anymore. Um, And I really couldn't figure this out later. Here, it seemed to work perfectly that it's the robots working against them and taking them. When we find out the system is good, you told me this was Charlie running tests by taking these workers. He was running tests on the poison that he The explosive. Yeah. Right. So he's just taking random people that he can get down to dispatch to try it out. Yeah. Okay. And it looks like he has control of a few robots, but not all of them. Yeah, I wonder how uh, they he's make it robotics. seem like because he's in maintenance. No, but... He studied robotics in yeah. his past. Yeah, because he's in maintenance, he just has access to, to everywhere. everywhere and yeah. everything. And I guess that's how he got to it. And you see that later. So we'll go back to that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they managed to insert a couple moments of humor in here. I like when we pan back over to Graham's training in maintenance where he's being given a long briefing about safety rules. Apparently they're at safety rule number 198. Do not drink any of the cleaning fluids uh, before he meets his maintenance mentor, Charlie. Charlie explains there are strict time guidelines for speed and cleaning of messes, and the teammates check up on them after every task. But they're quickly broken up when an emergency rest break is called for all employees in the home zone outside, and the team meets back up there. The doctor tells Graham... 
His job is to find the history of the company and plans of the complex, while the rest go to file a complaint. That's where we get this brief scene that we see there's an attraction between Charlie and Kira. So at this point, Charlie Charlie seems like a really nice kid, head over heels for Kira, and uh, trustworthy. Polar opposite of what we saw with the boss. Mm-hmm. And even Graham kind of starts to feel a little mentory towards him when they go back to their maintenance area. He starts establishing a relationship with him. He tells him it's obvious that he likes Kira. Graham's words of wisdom. Yeah, now some of this is so that he can work him over. Of course, he's playing him too. <laughs> he asks next if Charlie can get him a diagram so he can find his way around to all the spills. I thought both Graham, the character, and the actor played this brilliantly. Very well done. To the point where Charlie, looking back now, was the bad guy. The last thing he would want to give anybody is schematics to catch him, basically. Must have been super convincing. Yeah, he takes him to these cabinet displays of company artifacts. Of course, he has the codes so that he can clean them, but he gives him the original plans. While this is happening, the doctor, Ryan, and Yaz go to the management office to talk to Judy and Jarva, who have jurisdiction for all employee welfare. She shows them the message she received in her delivery and tells them other workers have been going missing. Judy promises they will look into it. But not satisfied, the doctor waits until Slade leaves the office and they search around. In a locked filing cabinet, they find a running tally he has been keeping of all the workers who have vanished, and the disappearances have been increasing. Judy discovers them and starts pressing them on their real purpose here, but the doctor kind of takes her off track. She points out that because Judy is head of people, she would be guilty of negligence if anyone found out about this. And in the middle of their conversation, the building goes into a total system blackout. This isn't like the other glitches. They realize all the power is being drained down to the foundation levels. It's at that moment Charlie and Graham show up to deliver the plans they found. A robot finds them and starts attacking Charlie, but the doctor stops it with her sonic. So this is the scene that I wanted to speak about. You see Charlie goes to grab the ear, which I'm assuming is how you get into the head. This is something he's done before. This is something he knows about, and that's how he's gained control of some of the robots. But this one specifically, all the power was going to this one robot from the system, and it was saying analyzing, analyzing. It was actually the system in this robot trying to get Charlie. But at the time, it just reinforces the idea. The robots have gone rogue. It's a bad system. And the scene before this, when the doctor and the crew go to the bosses, I thought that was very well done. It was an opportunity for the doctor to wax poetic which we love when she does that. And it's another opportunity to make Slade look like a bad guy because the way he was looking to us looked like, oh, they're onto me. But in reality, he was thinking in his head about what he's been finding and still not knowing if Judy was the bad guy. He can't speak up. It's a predicament. Dan Cooper has vanished. Maybe you should call the police. There are no police here. The authorities then. We are the authorities. Kablam is its own jurisdiction. We have responsibility for all employee welfare. Then you better be worthy of the jobs you're holding because a man is missing. And I don't think he's the first. Not if this is any indicator. This came to me in a delivery. Something is very wrong here at Kablam. And if you two don't do something about it, I might start to suspect that you're responsible. We'll look into it. You have my word. Mine too. Those words better be worth something. And if anything happens to us, or our new friends, or anyone else here, you'll have me to answer to. And to us, though, it starts making him look more and more guilty because we start to rule out Judy as a suspect here. As they continue to press her, Charlie defends her, saying she has helped give people like him a second chance by being able to work here. And Judy shows that the names of all the missing workers they found still come up as active and working in her system. After all, she can't keep track of 10,000 people individually. So for all she knew, it looked like they're still fine. This definitely makes us suspect Slade. The doctor comes up with a plan to hack in and isolate the system upgrades, but she needs a copy of the original code. So the group heads to the artifacts room to retrieve the original delivery bot. While they are searching, the robots collect Kira from packing, telling her she has been designated employee of the day and they have a gift for her. She follows them downstairs where they lock her in a room. In the artifacts area, the team finds the original bot, 
twirly. But he quickly runs out of battery before they can find much. Judy gets a notification that Kira has gone missing. Her signal last recorded in dispatch, but that area is fully automated. There's not even a route down there. Ryan is confident he can figure it out and takes Yaz and Charlie to go look for her. So right away I knew Kira was in trouble. We have been made aware that they are always listening and monitoring. And we just heard that whole story that Kira only got a gift once. And the thoughts of people getting gifts warms her heart. You can see how much that means to her. So they're using that sentiment to get her down there. Not only that, but all these other employees have gone missing and they didn't know about it. It seems like a trap that it's telling them where she is to try to get them all down to dispatch. Oh yeah, further when, yeah, exactly. But now we know that it's the system telling them, warning them, right? Come find out what Charlie's doing down here. Yeah. So do you think the system actually was the one, because obviously Charlie didn't want that. He loves Kira. So the system was like, that's it. Now we're going to take a life. Yeah, that's the only part that's super questionable to me. So they send this notification to the doctor, hoping they will come down and investigate dispatch to learn what's going on. But before they even wait for that, they kick into plan this idea to show Charlie, hopefully get him to have some empathy for what's going to happen to these families when they lose somebody by killing her. It feels like it really goes against what the system has been about. Also, now seeing how many robots there are, a whole army. If the system can think this way and control the robots to do this, can't the system just have all those robots just go after Charlie? Or can't it just tell the doctor? It's Charlie. Go get him. Hmm. (laughs) What? They could send her a note that says, help me. Why can't they send a note saying, Charlie's a demon? Yeah. Strange. But you know what? This cool storyline and cool twist wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with trying to write in twists. Sometimes you go back and there's narrative holes because they were trying to lead you on tangents and red herrings, and it doesn't always fit together nicely once you know the truth. Even the best movies and shows have that issue. Mm -hmm. We just watched Fantastic Beasts 2, which we will be reviewing on our Patreon page this month. So you guys have to join us. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and join us. We just did Bohemian Rhapsody, our bonus for this month, which was really fun. And same month, we're doing Fantastic Beasts. But with the twists that Fantastic Beasts have, looking back on it and the fact that we're going to review it, there are some holes in that too. Possibly. I want to put this out there because every Fantastic Beasts review I've listened to so far is trashing it. We loved the movie. We will not be bashing it. No. We will point out where potentially there are some flaws, but there's three more movies to come. We don't know what the explanation is going to be, and it very well might make sense knowing Rowling and how carefully she's written her stories out so far. Yeah, it might suck that it doesn't all add up right now and the movie's supposed to be a standalone. I'm not ready to crucify it just yet. Don't get me started, because we'll just do that podcast right now. Anyway, back to Doctor Who. Seeing no alternative, Yaz, Ryan, and Charlie slide down the dispatch chute. I really liked that. But again, we had that whole Ryan explaining that he has an issue, but then just jumping right down there and And he's fine. Same thing as with climbing the ladder last time. Although, at least they made the line comical here. He says, I should let you know, I have coordination problems. It's not super serious, but it makes life really interesting. And difficult and uncomfortable, especially in situations like this. The timing of that was very well done. It was funny. It was good. His delivery saved it for me. Plus, visually now, this is amazing. They land on a swiftly moving conveyor belt that takes them to a massive area where hundreds of conveyors disperse packages. I love when worlds open up for me. It lets my imagination go. I love it. Any of these movies, even the cutesy ones like Polar Express, where they find this gigantic area of conveyors, things moving... It always kind of scares me because it's a lot of moving parts going on. You're not supposed to be in the middle of that as a human. But I just love the vastness. I think there's something that I always want in my life. That's why we play Tomb Raider. You walk into a cave and it's huge. Assassin's Creed, things like that. Yeah, it's amazing looking, but scary at the same time. They manage to avoid being split up. And at the end of the belt, even more frightening, they escape the organic contamination disintegration. Oh boy. Once in the foundation level, they find Kira in the locked room with a one-way window. Inside, she can't hear Charlie's warnings as she opens her gift box and starts popping the bubble wrap, which releases the explosion and the fatal green gas. However, they're forming those bombs. Kablam! 
she goes up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know if I love the title in hindsight. Anyhow, after charging up Twirly, the doctor boots him and gives him a directive to look into the system for the base code and deliver them the information. He starts relaying a message from the system. Help me, doctor. Help required in dispatch. Slade discovers them and explains he hasn't been targeting workers. He's actually been recording the missing and trying to help. As there's no one to report this to or to stop it, he didn't know what to do or who to trust. He had a gun. He forgot to say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. but all of this was a major subversion of our yes. expectations, right? So this was good. Great twist. Yeah. And they really moved- enjoyed that. We're just jumping over the fact that Twirly was hilarious. Oh, my God. He was great. Remind me of an old school character of Doctor Who as well. He just... This is so fitting for what old school AI would be like if you turned it back on all these years later. I don't understand. What's the directive? What are you telling me? The future's confusing. <laughs> and this is due date. And can you pause all sales protocols for a bit? Even the upselling. Even the upselling. You just had a nap of about 200 years, so your offers are out of date anyway. Without upselling, my only purpose is delivery. We don't need you to do that either, mate. The future is very confusing for my protocols. I serve Kablam, and Kablam serves the people. The doctor hijacks the delivery bot's teleport circuit and sends them to dispatch. There, they find the liquidization tanks holding the remains of the missing workers. That was kind of gruesome. Yeah, and it got on Charlie's shirt. Anyone have a tissue? (laughs) So that gas, assuming it liquefies them, it's disgusting. Yeah, disintegrate, maybe like the contamination. At that point, I thought that was like battery juice. That's when I thought it. Well, it smells bad, right? Didn't one of them say something about the smell? Uh, I think that was a video game we were playing, t- Tomb Raider, last night. No, her too. Yeah. Sulfur. But yeah. it could be the same thing. <laughs> Good connections. Yeah, I'm sure it smelled horrible. Well, forget about what's in there, but whatever they have to do to make this gas probably has chemicals that are not so great. Yeah, you ever burn a piece of your hair? How nasty mm-hmm. that is. Yep. And in the warehouse, they find an army of delivery bots. The teleportation hardware shows huge reserves of power building up, stored for one simultaneous delivery. Now the plan is clear. The bubble wrap has been weaponized into millions of tiny bombs, and the customers are the targets. Ryan tells them what happened to Kira, and the fact that Charlie knew this was going to occur. So now they get that he's up to something. You're forgetting the best joke of the episode. Oh, go ahead. The Graham joke. The workers aren't the targets. It's the customers. Kablam's trying to kill their own customers. That's the worst business plan I've ever heard. I love that. It's almost not fair that Graham gets all the best (laughs) lines. (laughs) Well, Charlie admits he lied on his application to Kablam. He has studied cybernetics, explosives, teleportation... He won't accept the current status and the 90% of other jobs human people can't get. He planned to kill the customers and have it look like the system's fault. To demonstrate through the malfunction, their automation is imperfect and change the way people view technology. But the system has been trying to fight back against him. We've talked about all of the examples. And the doctor tells Charlie the system isn't the problem. It's how people use and exploit it. Okay, but the system is a problem. Right? All of that stuff is still true. 90% of the jobs here are now run by automation. And that's however many thousands of workers that clearly can't get jobs. They're struggling, as we've heard. Yeah. But one thing I can't figure out is how are people buying things, so many things, if no one has jobs? That's a good question. Kablam wouldn't be doing that well. That's a good question. And people like Kira have only ever got one present in their entire life because they're struggling so bad. Not only that, we know the company is not great. Yeah, it's not trying to kill its people, but the examples we've seen, the no socializing, the fact that they're being checked up on every five seconds, the fact that a man who's working hard every day can only see his daughter twice a year because of the cost of economy shuttle back to Kandoka. This is still kind of a shit company. Well, I guess you can't teleport humans. You can only teleport machines. Seems like. Also... No, because the doctor does it. She hijacks the teleportation system and uses it. So why can't they just teleport? Maybe it's just too expensive for average people. Like, they don't have access to it. Further, we already hear that about Amazon. They have that same-day delivery for Amazon Prime members, or one-day delivery. So the workers have to bust their ass to get those correct. Because if you miss that one-day delivery, you get a month free of Prime. Mm. And they don't want to do that too often. So the fact that 
Charlie winds up being a terrorist in essence shifts us away from what he was trying to say about the company. But the doctor's kind of wrong here when she says that it's not the system's problem, the system's fine. It's not fine. That's what's driving people to be so frustrated about it. And Charlie clearly snaps and does something that's unforgivable, but it's like we move past what started all these issues. Now, we'll come back around to that later, but not the doctor. The company itself will will come back around. Here, despite what she's saying, Charlie initiates the procedure anyway. Flustered and scrambling, the doctor can't think of a plan to stop the delivery in time. In desperation, she reactivates Twirly for help. My favorite line of the whole episode. Customers with your current medical issues browsed blood pressure medication. That was so great. (laughs) I love Twirly. You're too anxious. You've got to calm down. Uh, She changes the delivery address for all the robots to this hangar and instructs them to deliver the package to themselves. She yells a warning to Charlie, but with little time remaining, he fails to get out of the line of the robots. He doesn't even try. He stands there. He's in shock, I think. Charlie bit me. The doctor teleports the rest back to the main floor as the lower level explodes. Kablam! Pause. I feel like there's about 10 million things the doctor could have done. Either than that, if she wanted to avoid or really try to help Charlie not get killed. Number one... (laughs) She ordered them to redirect the delivery to themselves. So the delivery is happening regardless. The pressure on time is once it gets delivered to people, you have no control over when they're opening it, if they're hitting the bubble wrap. It's a wrap at that point. It's a wrap. No pun intended. You have robots here that you are telling what to do. So just because you say deliver to yourself and it happens in that moment, you don't have to tell them all to open up the gift wrap and pop the bubble wrap. They could sit there for an infinite amount of time with their boxes in their hands until we figure out what the fuck to do with the wrap. That's true. I didn't think about that. There's no need to explode them in a second. Huh. You're right. Wow. She could have said, all of you sit there and hold those boxes until I tell you to do anything else. Perhaps there's another way we could have disposed of the bubble wrap. If not, we can buy ourselves some time. We can maybe get some robots out of there so we don't have to disintegrate a million of them, however many are in here. We can have it go off safely. If the plan was, well, maybe it's okay if we take out some of the robots because the company does need to rethink things a little bit. All right, I kind of feel the doctor on that one. Maybe it will shake things up a bit, but at least it will give the time for the humans to get out And maybe to capture Charlie. He deserves to get in trouble. He deserves to go to prison. But we're kind of like, Charlie might want to get out of there. Oh, whoops, too late, sorry. But the ending would have been lame. It felt like she didn't really try. She knew she was sacrificing him when she made that plan. And again, I'm not saying I totally disagree with that line of action in the Doctor Who writing. It makes the Doctor a little more human. She's mad. Charlie's a terrorist. He was planning to kill people. She loses control sometimes. She doesn't give herself a minute to think. And she has to work for the greater good. Sorry, Grindelwald. Um, She's not human, though. Well, she has human-like qualities and certainly a lot of empathy. So, yeah, I think it was a murky spot. She does say something very quickly when she says, I'm rerouting them to deliver to themselves, and then she says something about opening the packet, but I don't She remember. tells them. But, uh, but there might have been a reason she might have to said. To open it and pop them. She literally orders them to do that. Okay. Now, listen, she might have sat there for another 10 minutes and told Charlie to get out, and maybe he wouldn't. He's so wrapped up in his cause right now, but in the time frame given, I wasn't totally sure. It seemed like maybe he was in shock and wasn't getting what she was saying until it was too late. Not that he got it and was just refusing to leave. Right. So I don't really know. We also get the answer here of why there was so many power surges. He was absorbing all the power to do one massive... Teleportation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it ends here with Judy and Jarva outside telling the crew they will be suspending all operations for a month at Kerblam while they undergo a review. Judy will propose it become a majority people-led company in the future. That's the moment I was talking about. She makes it seem like, oh, I'm going to put in a recommendation. We don't really know if anything's going to change there. What is this review going to do? Will they listen about possibly changing the ways of their company? And the doctor doesn't really seem to care. She stopped the villain from hurting people. The massive corruption that was already there will remain. And that's kind of a theme throughout this season. 
We stopped the imminent threat, but we're leaving a long breadcrumb of potential problems behind us that aren't really fixed. She's got to let things happen. For sure. Naturally. For sure. That's part of the problem being the doctor, right? And back on the TARDIS, Yaz has a final request for the doctor. If Dan hadn't switched their scanners, she would have been the one who died in the lower levels. So she wants to take the necklace back to his daughter, and the doctor agrees. Another big request from Yaz that she goes along with. And there's still bubbles. A bubble wrap there. I know. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. Are you surprised, though, that the doctor is so open to doing these things that Yaz requests that she's never done before? I don't think she's ever personally delivered the news no, about somebody who's died to a family member. No, I, 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 maybe there was some time we're not thinking, but as far as I remember, no. Especially a character she didn't know. Not surprised. Feels like this is the type of doctor she is now. It's a big change in form, though, in a lot of ways, the things she's been doing. For sure. For her new uh, incarnation. One thing that got me was when the doctor was getting scanned, and she says, yep, two hearts. Hmm. The first lady gave me a uh, request that I get a heart. Good for health care. <laughs> uh, good health care. But um, I was hoping that during that scan, we might see something else wrong with her body to hearken back to... The ectospleen. Three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I know that we even said top of this season that we read there wasn't going to be any episode to episode storylines, but I was hoping that that was false. It felt like a missed opportunity to yeah. have her full body scan and not bring that up again. That I thought that would have been brilliant. A little bit of a bridge between the episodes. That's what we love about Doctor Who. And instead, they're just going to drop that. That doesn't That's gonna be gone. mean huge overarching themes. It doesn't mean bringing in villains from seasons past. It just means connecting this episode storylines. And yeah. I think in a way they're failing to do that. They can They're doing it on purpose now. They're purposely not doing it. I think that's hurting them. Yeah. Even if they in episode ten decided, well we're gonna wrap things up and bring storylines in for you, it still doesn't fix what's happening in all these episodes. No. Unfortunately. And it's my dominant issue ongoing with this new series. Well, Jason, that wraps up our plot and takes us to our rating for the episode. On a scale of 1 to 10 Sonics, what do you give episode 7, Kerblam? Well, as you can tell, we did enjoy this episode very much. A little bit of a homage to the old ones, or as much as we're probably going to get. I thought it started off really strong. In the middle, it felt like it lost some steam. But mm-hmm. then it ramped up again and gave us some nice twists and turns that we weren't expecting and that I really enjoyed. So far right now, my top three episodes are The Ghost Monument, Arachnids in the UK, and Demons of the Punjab. I'm going to go just below these and give it an 8.1 Sonics. Well, like you, I had the same three highest episodes. The Ghost Monument at an 8.5, Arachnids at an 8.8, and Demons of the Punjab at a 9. I definitely didn't like it as much as the last episode, but I'm fairly in line with the Arachnids episode. You can tell I'm looking for the nostalgia because those two (laughs) are ranked pretty high and they felt more old school Doctor Who. Something about the last episode, though, wasn't. But it was still good. It broke ground in a lot of ways that I, I think people mostly attributed to the Rosa episode. I really liked that one, but I liked the last one more so for the same reasons. But yeah, this is more in line with episode four, so I'm going to give it the same Sonic rating of an 8.8. Now we move on to the Clatchers section of this podcast. Every week we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, who is your MVC for this week? Our four options were Twirly, Dan Cooper, Judy, and Jarva, and finally, the Kablam Bots. A.K.A. the system. Coming in in last place with 0% were Judy and Jarva. Yeah, I mean, even though they didn't turn out to be bad guys, I don't think they were anyone's favorite characters. They didn't do a ton to advance the storyline. I liked that they served this great subversion aspect of the episode, and it turns out they're just normal people trying to get by, even if they're not great people, as we said with Jarva. But I think Judy seems like a sincere woman. She seems nice, and at the end of the day, he was trying to do the right thing by Mm -hmm. looking for these missing workers. But he was keeping quiet because he thought maybe Judy was the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Relatable, I think. In third place with 17% was Dan Cooper. Now we put him in. Obviously, he didn't do anything to help the crew. But we thought he was a great character to give Yaz a little bit of screen time, finally. 
and some good storyline there. But also, he just seemed like a good guy. He was a really good guy, and he might not have helped the crew as far as advancing their mission, but he saved Yaz's life. He knew something was up when he went down to those lower levels, and he wasn't going to let her go. So I think truly selfless, and he's an example of secondary characters really being built up in a short space of time where they're doing well with that. Coming in second place and missing the win by only 1% were the Kerblam bots or the system. They had 41%. And it makes sense because the system is what brought the doctor there to help. The system is what we thought was bad, but actually was good. They were trying to save the day. It was trying to save the day in the only way it knew how. And the system almost felt like it had feelings. Almost. But coming in at first place, which we knew it would be because he was awesome, with 42% is Twirly. He didn't even do that damn much, but he was so cool. And the one point we actually got to hear the system speak was kind of through the mouthpiece of Twirly. Yeah. Right? When he identified what was going on. And he was just so goddamn just funny. Just a fun robot. Yeah. yeah. And he did save the day. Without Twirly, the doctor wouldn't have been able to. Well, she hijacked his teleportation <laughs> device, but yeah. It was his device that got them out of there. No, the teleportation device was the head of one of the robots. Oh, she I thought that twirly. was Twirly. She used Twirly. She asked Twirly to uh, reroute them, to deliver to themselves. Okay, yep. So Twirly did that part. So it was a joint effort, really. For sure. Brian S. wrote in to say, ultimately went with the system. I love the commentary on Amazon, millennials, and everyone being super connected right now. And the irony is not lost on me using Twitter to say this. But thought the AI being wise enough to ask for help tipped my vote in the bot's favor. Yeah, they needed the humans in the end, right? Yep. One of those Wesleys says, additional 10 out of 10 for Graham's Cardian. When traversing space and time, it's important to stay both comfortable and fashionable. I love that. And he has a picture of Graham in that beautiful (laughs) cardigan. (laughs) I love Graham. And finally, Brian T. says... Someday you'll walk right past a Fez, a quote from Clara. (laughs) Uh, He goes on, once again, the initially perceived bad guys weren't seeing a pattern develop here. Now, if you'll excuse me, I just got a package delivered. Uh, I love our Clatchers. They're clever. (laughs) They're funny. It's perfect. And everyone knows I love funny. And that's why for me, I'm going with Twirly. I want one. Christmas is here. Can you get me one? Well, since it was such a toss up, I would have given it to Twirly, but I feel it's evenly split between him and the Kerblam system. So I'll go the other way and give it to the Kerblam bots. In the end, Kerblam is not to blame. They are the good guys, just like Amazon. And you know Christmas is coming. So if you're not going to buy a Songfinch gift, which you absolutely should, because I'm telling you, it was a great experience to get a song of our own. And whoever you get it for is going to love it. But if you're not going that route, use our Amazon link to do your Christmas shopping on Amazon. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on our Amazon link. It takes you directly to Amazon. Nothing crazy. It doesn't cost you anymore. Do your shopping just like regular. All it does is force Amazon to give us a little bit of their kablam money. And while you're at it, bookmark it. It helps us out a little bit and doesn't cost you anything. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode seven. Thanks for joining us for the review of Kerblam. All that remains is our spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we'll see you next time when we review episode eight. For everyone that's still here, we do have some fun facts for our spoiler section. A lot of tie-ins, as we said, to previous Doctor Who episodes. In the Tom Baker story, Robots of Death, we got a similar plot, and it ended with the Doctor turning the villain's own weapon against him. Also, the Doctor previously visited a warehouse that contained a mystery in her seventh incarnation with Melanie Bush, fittingly titled The Warehouse. At some point in the episode, the Doctor mentioned meeting Agatha Christie, in an encounter from an episode we know was the Unicorn and the Wasp, where the Doctor and Donna invited themselves to a dinner party attended by Christy and uncovered an alien Vespa form, a giant wasp that was committing murders. And Jason, here you are, the Fez Cap, <laughs> which has a long history going back to the second Doctor that admired one at a bazaar in Alexandria, but left it, quote, for, for another, another time. time. Love it. The 11th Doctor took one from an exhibit in the museum where the Pandorica was and wore it. This is one of your favorite quotes. This was Matt Smith who said, it's a fez. I wear fez now. Fezes are cool. I love Matt Smith. In fact, Stephen Moffat said Matt Smith grew so fond of it, they had to destroy it to to stop him from insisting on wearing it for the next series. (laughs) 
And finally, the doctor said at some point, some of my best friends are robots. Now, there's a whole slew of people she could be referring to. Mm-hmm. Most prominently, though, K-9, the robot dog. And that's who Twirly really reminded me of. And then Chameleon, the shape-changing android, who is a companion of the fifth doctor. Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. So a lot of cool callbacks. We also heard about our next episode, 8, The Witch Finders. The Doctor and companions arrive in 17th century Lancashire and become embroiled in a witch trial run by the local landowner. As fear stalks the land, the arrival of King James I only serves to intensify the witch hunt. But is there something even more dangerous at work? Can the Doctor keep the people of Bilehurst Crag safe from all the forces that are amassing in the land? We also know that there's going to be two big guest stars in this episode, Sia Bonfinneran from Downton Abbey and Coronation Street, and Alan Cumming from about a million things. (laughs) That should be a fun one. And finally, we also got the episode titles for the last two, episodes 9 and 10, which will be called It Takes You Away and The Battle of Ranskur of Kolos, or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned. We'll have more information on those next time. Clatchers, enjoy your Thanksgiving. I hope you overeat, sleep, overeat again, and have some good quality time with your family. Listen to the Patreon bonus cast about the true history of Thanksgiving if you're feeling bored. Yes, that was a great episode. Uh, I'm going to listen to it again. (laughs) And then after that, Christina and I will be doing the next Doctor Who and recording Fantastic Beasts. So Patreon members, be on the lookout. We also want to remind you, if you're looking for a personalized gift to give to somebody, something that will bring your stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs, check out Songfinch. You can develop your own personalized song starting at $99 and delivered within seven days that you can use for any occasions, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, or just to tell somebody you love them and give them a special kind of gift. Best of all, they are offering our listeners $20 off your personalized song from scratch. So head on over to songfinch.com and use promo code CLATCHERS. That's promo code CLATCHERS for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. And until next week... This round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.